Let's take our Bibles and turn over to Revelation this evening. Revelation chapter number 20. This is going to be more of a teaching time tonight as we think about uh, some things that the Bible teaches about both resurrections and judgments that uh, can sometimes be confusing. And uh, so we're going to look at these two subjects for a few moments this evening and ask the question, how many resurrections are there? I ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 20. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 is recording for us the millennial kingdom. Jesus Christ came back in his second coming about midway through chapter 19. Uh, we came back to earth with him. And uh, Jesus Christ uh, does, uh, does uh, quite a job on the forces of Antichrist. And now in chapter 20, uh, Satan is bound for a thousand years. And we enter into a kingdom period on earth with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. And Satan is gone. And I want to pick up a little bit in verse number 4. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 4, I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. These are the ones who were put to death during the tribulation period. And for the word of God, and uh, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands. Now get the picture, we're at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus has come back. And God allowed John to see the people who will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. That's you and me, by the way. And then he sees the souls of all those who were killed for their testimony during the tribulation period. And verse number four ends by saying, and they lived. So all of those who died during the tribulation period live. And the, the, uh, the idea behind that phrase, and they lived, is they lived again. He saw them. They've been killed. They've been put to death. They've not been resurrected until this moment. And so they lived again. And they will join us and reign with Christ for a thousand years. But notice verse 5, but the rest of the dead, who are those? Those are the people that had died that had never gotten saved. The rest of the dead... Live not again until the thousand years were finished. Now, that's a parenthesis. That's a, that's a, a side. The last phrase, this is the first resurrection, goes with the end of verse number four. He sees the people that died during the tribulation period resurrected, and now they join the saints who had been resurrected at the rapture, who have come back with Jesus at the second coming, and the dead in Christ reign with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead are not resurrected. They live not again until after the millennial kingdom is over. The ones who were resurrected at the rapture and the ones who were resurrected at the end of the tribulation are the first resurrection, verse number five ends by saying. This is the first resurrection. The second resurrection hadn't happened yet. Those people won't live again until after the thousand years is finished. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now that, when he speaks of the first resurrection, I mean, this is not till the end of the tribulation period. There have been a lot of resurrections prior to that. And that generates the question, how many resurrections are there? There's a first resurrection, 
And then there's going to be another resurrection in a thousand years for all the people that haven't been resurrected yet. And so that begs the question, how many resurrections are there? Let's go ahead and go to that next screen and uh, that next slide, if we could. And uh, this is um, going to answer the, ask and answer the question of how many resurrections are there. And uh, this is a timeline that we're going to overlay with a number of things. And I just kind of get uh, the timeline in mind. You have this on the front side of your little handout with the things we're going to overlay. But before you, we look at the details, I want you to understand uh, the timeline. Of course, this is the crucifixion of Christ, so this is before Christ. This is the resurrection of Christ, uh, his, ascension, uh, his uh, ascension, rather, not his resurrection, his ascension. And then this is the period of time that we're living in right now after the ascension of Christ back to heaven and before he catches us up into the clouds. This is not the second coming because he doesn't come back to earth. He just descends into the clouds and he catches us up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. So we're living in this period between the ascension of Jesus Christ and when he comes down to the clouds and catches us up, and then we go back to heaven together. That begins seven years of tribulation on the earth. And most likely in heaven, the Bema Seat judgment is occurring. That's when we as saved people who are caught up to be with him, give an account to him for the lives that we lived as Christian people. And the Bible says we'll give an account for the things which we've done, whether it be good or evil. And uh, we'll be rewarded for the things that we did for Christ. That's the Bema Seat Judgment. That is likely happening in heaven during this seven years of tribulation. Of course, the seven years of tribulation fit back to Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks. And that's how we know how long that uh, period of tribulation lasts. It's the 70th week or the 70th period of sevens. Uh, in Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks. Now, at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus comes back to earth, and then we have the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, his kingdom on earth, and at the end of that, there'll be another resurrection and a great white throne judgment in heaven. So that's kind of the basic timeline that we're going to overlay a couple of things on. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide. And how many resurrections are there? Well, there are two resurrections. However... When the Bible speaks of the first resurrection and then says there's going to be another resurrection, those are kinds of resurrections. There's the first kind of resurrection, and then there's the second kind of resurrection. It's not numeric because there's a number of resurrections. We have all kinds of resurrections mentioned in the Bible, but there are only two kinds of resurrections. There's the resurrection of the believer unto Christ, and there's the resurrection of the unbeliever unto judgment and hell. And so there are two kinds of resurrections. Now, you see the little smiley faces? That's the first kind of resurrection. Those are smiley faces because those are good resurrections. It's good to be a part of one of those resurrections. But then there's a second kind of resurrection, and you see it's a frowny face. That's not the kind of resurrection anyone would want to be a part of. These are the first kind of resurrection. The resurrection unto life. And this is the second kind of resurrection. The resurrection that will prepare the unbeliever, reunited with their resurrected body, to be cast into the lake of fire, where they will suffer judgment forever and ever. Now, what are these resurrections? Well, we know from 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus Christ was the first fruit of the first kind of resurrection. 
We know that at the rapture, all the New Testament saints that got saved during this period of time will be resurrected to meet the Lord in the air and go back to heaven. Then we know during the tribulation period, there's going to be a lot of people martyred. A lot of people are going to lose their life during the tribulation period for their witnessing, for their evangelism and their living for God. There are going to be great revivals in the tribulation period. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists preaching the gospel all over the world. There's going to be two witnesses that perform miracles and many will get saved. There are all kinds of things happening during the tribulation period. It'll be a great season of soul winning and revival. However, we are told that if during this Time prior to the tribulation, if we heard the gospel, were convicted of God, rejected, knowingly rejected the conviction of God to get saved, then during the tribulation we will be given a strong delusion, we will believe the Antichrist, we will not get saved. I'm saying we as in people will not get saved. So the fact there's a lot of people getting saved during the tribulation is not a comfort to those who just say, well, I'm going to reject Christ. And then uh, if, if all this stuff really happens, then I'll get saved during the tribulation period. Oh, no, you will be deluded. That person will be deluded and that person will believe the lie of the Antichrist and they will not get saved during the tribulation. But there's a lot of people on earth that have never heard the gospel during the tribulation period. Those 144,000 Jewish evangelists, the two witnesses, all the gospel preaching that will be done, lots of people will get saved, but it's a tough time to be a Christian. We think it's tough now. It is a tough time during the tribulation period. You can't buy, you can't sell, you can't operate as, a, as, a, as everyone else can who is under the delusion of the Antichrist. Uh, people will go through horrible, horrible situations, and many will be put to death. And, uh, and those people who got, got saved during the tribulation and died during the tribulation, those, and some people lump in the Old Testament, the dispensation, uh, dispensationalists, depending on how deep one gets ingrained in, in, in uh, a dispensational understanding, some believe that the Old Testament saints, everyone that got saved before Christ came, uh, that all of those people who got saved and died, they won't get resurrected at the rapture, they'll get resurrected here. I don't know, that's, that's, that's a little bit, uh, that's stretching... Um, uh, theology without clear-cut biblical reference, in my opinion, to the point where I would never say that dogmatically, but that's what uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of people, a lot of theologians that are of a dispensational persuasion, which I am one of, um, they'll say the Old Testament and the Tribulation Saints all are resurrected when Jesus comes back, and that's what he's talking about, the first resurrection, the first kind of resurrection there in the text we just read. Then the Millennial Kingdom, and then all the lost, the ones he said the rest, will not live again until after the thousand years. And then in, uh, uh, in chapter 20, we have uh, all of the lost being resurrected, and they go to the great white throne judgment, and, and they're all, there's not a saved person there. That's all unsaved people. So there are two kinds of resurrections that a person can, look, can be a part of. Uh, there's the resurrection of saved people, and there's the resurrection of lost people. The resurrection of saved people, there's a number of those resurrections, depending on when one lives and when one dies. And uh, those, uh, those come throughout, uh, throughout a person's experience. Well, let's turn the page over to the, to the other side. I want to talk to you a little bit about the judgments that are going to come, and we'll jump to the next slide. We're using the same timeline, the same basic timeline we just used, and I want to overlay that with some things about the judgments that are going to come into this world uh, that, uh, to, for, for the lost. Let's, um, 
Let's go to the next slide. Uh, these, these, um, let's go to the next slide. Here we go. These uh, judgments I like to liken to the county jail versus the state penitentiary. Uh, the county jail is where a guy goes before the trial. Uh, he hasn't stood trial and been convicted guilty yet, so he goes to the county jail to kind of keep, keep him under, under wraps. And, and then, uh, later, after he, after he uh, has his day in court and he's pronounced guilty, then he goes to the state pen. Now, that may not work out exactly like that in real jurisprudence, but that's just kind of a way that my mind gravitates toward it. There is a place that's kind of like the county jail. Uh, where people go to for a while. There's a place that's like the state pen. You don't get out of the state pen. It's for all of eternity. And so we want to look and see what happens with the, with the judgments of people. Let's start with the Old Testament. Next slide. Oh, before we do that, just uh, back that off just for a second. So the, the, this um, county jail you see uh, is a place where we got fire and water with a great gulf in between. Now, you, even, even elementary Bible readers know uh, where that comes from. That comes from, uh, from Jesus Christ telling the story of Lazarus, right? Where people, two people died. And, uh, and they both went to the same place. And they talked to each other. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide now. We're talking now about people that died before Jesus Christ died on the cross. Here's a saved person. Here's a lost person. If you've got really good eyesight, you can see on your paper where that comes from in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus told the story of a rich man and Lazarus. They both died. The Bible says the rich man died and he went to where? Somebody help me. Where did the rich man go? He went to hell. Where did, the, where did Lazarus go? Paradise, Abraham's bosom. Those are two descriptors or two titles that Jesus used of where Lazarus went. Now, Lazarus over here in the place of comfort, they had water. And the rich man over here was in a place of fire. He wanted water. And he, and he talked to Abraham. And he could see Lazarus. And he could see the water. And he said, would you let Lazarus dip his finger in that little bit of water and come over here and cool my tongue? I'm tormented in this flame. Now, th- this is, a, this is a, a, a mental picture of a place where the saved and the lost all went when they died. But they didn't go to the same part of that same place. This is called in the Hebrew, Sheol, or in the Greek, Hades. It was a temporary place for people that would, it would not be their eternal abode. But uh, the La- Lazarus was in a place of comfort, and the rich man was in a place of torment, and they could communicate, and they were conscious of who they were. They were conscious of who the other person was. They were conscious of their condition and their experience. And, uh, of course, the rich man wanted some help uh, being alleviated from that. So we've got a place prior to Christ's death where everybody went to the same place, but there was a couple of different parts to that place. Next slide, please. Then Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus told the thief beside him who repented of his sin, he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. We're going to paradise together today. And so uh, a place of comfort, a place of peace, a place of rest. And so Jesus and the, and the thief beside him went to paradise uh, when they died on the cross. Now, the, the paradise, it would seem, now this is putting together a lot of different references, a lot of different pictures in the Bible in a, 
what appears to me and to many to be a logical, visual presentation of how these things worked out. Jesus Christ, when he died, went to paradise. But when he ascended back to heaven, he led captivity captive. In other words, he took all of the saved. You see, they went there because they were trusting the blood of bulls and goats. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, had not made the eternal sacrifice. God had not died for man. So they were not saved from their sin entirely. The blood of bulls and goats rolled back the sin on the Day of Atonement. The book of Hebrews talks about the, the, the blood of the animals would roll back their sin another year to the next Day of Atonement. Roll back another year to the next Day of Atonement. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, then Jesus Christ paid the eternal price for our sin. And so these people then, who have been waiting for the Messiah to provide the eternal sacrifice of his own life, that they might be saved, there's a reference in Ephesians chapter 4 about Jesus Christ ascending, leading captivity captive and ascending back to the Father. So it would seem that Jesus Christ after he rose from the grave, took all of those who were in Abraham's bosom or paradise, whose sins have now been atoned by the sacrifice of his own life, the point out of his own blood, he led them to heaven. Now, that would leave half of hell empty, right? Next slide. Next slide. Is coming up. Some believe the reference in Isaiah 5.14, where the Bible says hell hath enlarged herself, is referring to the time when all of a sudden Abraham's bosom or paradise was emptied of all of its contents. So there's nobody there to have uh, be divided between two groups of people. And that hell enlarged herself. Now Sheol and Hades has no compartment for comfort because there's nobody that's ever going to go there again. And so now that place is, is just a holding place for all those who die without Christ. Hell enlarged herself for the ongoing people that were dying without Christ and going there. And so now when someone would die, let's have someone dying here. Not here, but on the next slide. So when a saved person dies now after the resurrection and, or the death and ascension of Christ, the Bible tells us in uh, uh, what is that? Second Corinthians and in uh, Philippians, the Bible tells us that to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. We don't go to a holding tank. We don't go to a place of comfort waiting for something later. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said to live as Christ, to die is gain. Why is die gain? Because I'm going to be with Christ. And so now, after the cross, when a saved person dies, they go straight to to heaven where Jesus Christ is, a lost person continues to go to the same place. Matthew 25, 30 is a reference to this, this place. And, um, and, uh, and so the lost go to, um, to Sheol or Hades. Let's have the next slide if we could. Now, there's going to be a day when hell is going to be emptied of all of its contents. The day that hell is emptied of all of its contents will be when... This resurrection occurs that we were talking about a few moments ago. The resurrection that won't happen until after the thousand years are accomplished. It's the resurrection of all the lost of all time. And those will be 
uh, resurrected and they will go to the great white throne judgment. Now let's turn over. You're in chapter 20. Let's flip a page in your Bible to the latter part of chapter 20. Let's read the account of what happens here. Chapter 20 and verse number 11. The Bible says that I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. For there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now, remember, everyone's been resurrected that's ever gotten saved. They've already been resurrected. But now, those who are still dead, small and great, important people and unimportant people, rich people and poor people. He sees the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened And another book was opened, which is the book of life. We'll come back to those books in a moment. Let's just read through and see what happens here. And the dead which were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Now, notice verse 13. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. The bodies that were were lost at sea are resurrected. And death and hell, this is... Hell, Hades, deliver up the dead which were in them. So we've got references to the dead bodies in the sea, then the dead, which would be the dead bodies on the earth, and then all of the soul spirits of all those who died without Christ uh, are, are resurrected. Death and hell delivered up, this is Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them. So we have a resurrection of the soul and bodies of all the lost of all time. And they're resurrected and they stand before God and they're judged every man according to their works. And then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Death would be the dead bodies that were resurrected. Hell would be the dead souls that were resurrected and joined together. The reunification of body and soul. And they're cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so they are the um, the bodies come from wherever the soul spirit comes from Hades. They're judged at the great white throne judgment and then they're cast into the lake of fire or the name is Gehenna used in the New Testament. And there they're in the lake of fire. The Bible says uh, this is the second death, the second death, first death being the heart attack when the body died, body resurrected, soul spirit resurrected, put back together Judged, cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the death that the Bible talks about in Romans when the Bible says that the gift of God, the wages of the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. It's a comparative contrast between a gift and a wage between death and life. The wage, what you earn, the gift, what is offered to you with no earning on your part. Death, the second death in hell forever, eternal life, life with God in heaven forever. So that great contrast comparison verse that says you can have your paycheck that you've earned by the sin you've committed and you can go to a place of eternal death, which will be the second death, and you will be there for eternity. Or you can take the gift that you could never earn, the free gift by the grace and mercy of the God who went to the cross and paid the price for my guilt and sin. 
I can take the gift that I don't deserve. And the mercy and grace of God will wash away my sin because it's been paid for by God himself. And I can be given the, the permission to come to heaven forever. And it'll be eternal life. Now, how is this separation made? Well, this passage tells us in the last verse that whosoever was not found written in the book of life. But if you read carefully, if you read carefully this passage, they're not judged from the book of life. When they stand before God, the great white throne judgment, verse 12 says, I saw the dead small and great stand before God. The books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books, plural. Verse number 12 said that the books were opened. Another book, singular, was opened, the book of life. But they were not judged out of the book of life, singular. They were judged out of the books that were opened according not to the book of life, but according to their works. And they will be judged according to their works. But where they go will not be based on their works. Where they go will be based on whether or not their name is found written in the book of life. Very precise language that God gives to us. So whether I take part in the first kind of resurrection and, and go right into God's presence to live with him forever, or whether I am not resurrected until way after all of these other resurrections, all the different first, resurre- first kind of resurrection, finally at the end, all the lost are resurrected. If I'm resurrected at that resurrection, I'm doomed. The reason I'm resurrected at that resurrection is because I didn't get resurrected in the first kind of resurrection. Now I'm resurrected in the second kind of resurrection, and that's all unsaved people. And the reason I'm resurrected in that resurrection is because my name was not found written in the book of life. But I won't at that resurrection be judged based on the book of life. I will be judged based on the works of my life. This is one of the grand passages of Scripture that shows us that the punishment in hell will be graded on the basis of the works of one's life. The Bible talks in other places of greater condemnation. The Bible talks about being more tolerable or less tolerable under the judgment of God. Some people have a real hard time thinking through the idea of someone who was born and raised in a place in the world where they never heard the gospel. A missionary never got there. And, and, and then the, the, the possibility that they're accountable and God holds them accountable and they go to hell because they never heard, they never had the opportunity. Yes, the Bible says in Romans 1 that they're all without excuse. Because God put in every person a conscience. He wrote His Word on our hearts. And every atheist... In the depths of his soul, when he goes to bed at night and it's only him and his pillow and his, his heart and spirit, he knows there's a God. He knows there's right and he knows there's wrong. And he knows that he chooses to do wrong over and over and over again. Because of that conscience that he betrays, the law of God written in his heart, that he sins against every human being is accountable 
to God for rejecting right and doing wrong at the conscience, conscious, conscience level of his life. But the person that is accountable to God for, at that level of accountability is very different than a person who heard the gospel and rejected Christ, heard the gospel and rejected Christ, heard the gospel and rejected Christ, loved their sin more than they loved what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross of Calvary, wanted to live it up and have all the fun they wanted to get out of life. That person who rejects and rejects and rejects is more accountable. You know, remember, Jesus spent most of his time around the Sea of Galilee, and he talked about how the the people who lived there in Capernaum, which is the town on the north edge of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where he made his headquarters, where Peter, uh, that was his hometown, and Bethesda right up the road, the hometown of some of the other apostles. And, and Jesus Christ performed most of his miracles in that region. He preached most of his sermons in that region. And when they rejected him, he said it will be more tolerable for those of Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. You have seen so much evidence. You have heard so much truth. You have had so many opportunities And yet, with all of the evidence and all the opportunities and all the proofs of who I am, you rejected me. It'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you on the day of judgment. He said the same about Tyre and Sidon, Gentile cities up the Mediterranean coast who didn't have the opportunity that the people of Israel had to hear over and over, see the miracles, see the things Jesus Christ did. He said... It'll be more tolerable for Gentiles living in a place where I never ministered than it'll be for you who have sat here and listened and watched and seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet you still reject me. More tolerable. You see, there's, there's degrees of judgment according to degrees of accountability, which is measured by the degrees of one's rebellion against God. And so the Bible tells us that it's this final judgment, and it's really the final resurrection and the final judgment all wrapped up together. It's the resurrection of all of the lost, and then they'll all stand before God. And there will be a book called the Book of Life, and then there'll be stacks of books. The books of the works of mankind. Every person that's lost will stand before God and he will go to the place where there's the record of the life that they lived and they will be made accountable for the sins of their life. You say, well, why does he have the book? Have you ever gone shopping on Black Friday? Is it Friday? Is that right? Did I get the name right? Black Friday? Where, where... 2,000 people want one stereo that's for sale for 75% off. Then everyone believes it's their right to get it. Can you imagine what it's going to be like at the Great great White Throne Judgment when the stakes are much higher than saving a few bucks on an electronic gadget? And people find out for the first time in their life that they're getting ready to be sentenced to eternity. And they begin to scramble and fight and argue with God. And the book of life is there. It's a bit of a mystery. We don't know. God didn't tell us a lot about that book. 
In my, in my simple mind, I can imagine that Jesus Christ has a place in that book for every human being where their name would have been written down if they trusted Christ as their Savior. And I can imagine someone arguing with God about holding them accountable for their sins and sentencing them to eternal judgment. And God says, well, let me show you. And he opens the book of life to the place where their name would have been written down and shows them your name is missing. Your name's not in the book of life. And then they're sentenced to their eternal ruin and doom. And that is the final judgment when they're, when they're sent to the lake of fire, which the Bible says in verse number 10, where the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, the beast and the false prophet are there, and shall be tormented day and night forever. And ever. Sad, sad words. So the Bible gives us a picture of the resurrections and the judgments. It can be confusing when you read this passage and that passage, but that gives you a little bit of an outline uh, as, to, uh, as to how the, the resurrections play out, how the judgments play out in, uh, in, the, uh, in the Word of God and what people can, uh, can expect to see occur uh, in the future. Aren't you glad you're saved? I'm glad I'm going to be a part of the first resurrection, the first kind of resurrection. I'm glad that I'm going to be uh, spared the horrible judgment because Jesus Christ has already been judged in my place. The price has been paid, and I look forward to spending eternity with the one who paid that, that price for my sins.